Hey, you're listening to the Time and Talks podcast. I'm your host, Dejal V. Patel, and this is the place where we have refreshingly real talks about the biggest problems moms face in motherhood and life and the spiritual solutions to solve them. If you're ready to reset your mindset with some major truth bombs, well then, let's dive in. Namaste, mods and mamas. Welcome back to another episode of the Time and Talks podcast. I don't know about for you, but for me, one of the hardest things in parenting has been knowing the right things to say when my child is having a tough moment of anger or frustration or sadness, especially when it's directed towards something that I potentially did. And if you've ever felt stuck or a loss of words, then you'll find immense value from today's episode. How we communicate in difficult moments, our body language, our facial expressions, and the choice of words that we have really impacts our child and the way they feel about themselves, their relationship with others, and the world around them. So whether you've resorted to yelling or threatening or bribing, like I certainly have on certain occasions, when your child has a meltdown or their sibling squabbles or when your child is walking at a snail's pace and you need to get out of the door to get to school, if you've been stuck with not knowing what to say, then I'm going to be sharing two guests today who are going to help us be more patient and empathetic and know exactly what to say. Today, I'm honored to introduce Heather Turgan and Julie Wright to the show. Heather and Julie are psychotherapists who specialize in sleep and parenting. They offer online sleep classes as well as one-on-one consoles for families all over the world. Their article, Which is Better, Rewards or Punishments? Neither was one of the most widely read New York Times articles of 2018. They are the authors of two books, The Happy Sleeper and Now Say This. Today we're going to dish about the book Now Say This, which is literally like a Bible on my nightstand that I turn to anytime I mess up or I feel like I'm struggling of how to say and handle a situation the next time around. I just check in the book, find a script and a phrase, and then I practice that for next time. So in this episode, we're going to dish about the three-step approach to effective communication that will help you stay empathetic during tough parenting moments. And honestly, you can use them during any relationship. How to connect and attune to your child when they have big feelings without going in, let me solve your problem or let me set limits. We're really going to find out how to connect with our kids. And lastly, we're going to know what to say when your child is having a tantrum or hating someone else and not listening. What do you say in those tough moments? You're going to walk away with practical how-tos that any mom really can use and can implement right away. So without further ado, let's welcome Julie and Heather to the show, who's going to help us press the reset button on saying the wrong thing during difficult parenting moments. Welcome to the podcast, Heather and Julie. I am so, so excited to dive into your Now Say This book. I've gotten so much immense value out of it, and I know that our mamas are going to get that too. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. Oh, you're welcome. So we always start the podcast with an icebreakers question and kind of wondered, you know, when people have like co-author a book, like, is that really difficult to do as far as like your experience of writing a book together on something like this? Has it been difficult? Not at all. I think it has been so, our partnership has been so just productive and beautiful because we complement each other. We have so much in common and so 
we're so aligned on so many things. And also we have, we just complement each other. And I just, I mean, I think it's true that it's probably really overall a difficult thing to collaborate with not the right person or, you know, but when you find that right person, it's like everything we've done is better because we do it together 100%. I love that. That's very cool. So I know I heard you guys on a podcast and then I got the book immediately. And I know for a fact, when I was listening to you guys on that podcast, you guys have such a great synergy. And that really, when I read the book, you could see it's very seamless. It didn't feel like one person was writing or the other person. So I wanted to, that's why I wanted to ask you as far as like your writing process, because I thought that was really great. It's very easy to read. You guys um, have blended this technique of what you call a three-step approach to communication, which is not just for parents and young children. It really is applicable for any relationship because Mm -hmm. communication is so challenging, whether it's marriage or friends or parents. So I've really utilized those tools in so many different relationships. But your book, um, Now Say This, which is a guide to help parents understand the right things to say when we're facing tough parenting moments. And so the first thing, of course, you, we have this three-step approach. Can you guys share what that three-step approach to effective communication is? Sure. So the three steps are attune, limit set, and problem solve. And there's three steps because we feel like those, there are lots of things you can do within each step, but if you really just boil it down to the three steps, you've kind of done your work and you've encompassed everything um, that you really want to do in a difficult moment. So I find that everybody has a different way of phrasing little, you know, everyone has different nuances. So there's not, you know, exact words, even though our book is very much about scripts because we want people to have ideas. But the idea behind the three steps is attune, um, which is that moment of empathy, of leading with understanding, of trying to put yourself in your child's or anyone's shoes in a difficult moment, limit setting, and then problem solving. So um, there's so much to say about each individual step, but we find that in the moment, in a heated moment, you don't know what to say. And that's why we wrote the book is that we really felt like there was so much beautiful writing out there about empathy and about, um, you know, empathic parenting and positive parenting. But when you're, you know, standing in the front of a line at a coffee shop and your toddler is, you know, melting down because you can't, they're not, you know, you won't buy them a donut and you have 25 people behind you in line and you're like, what do I do? You need something that you can just go to. And ALP is only three steps. And it really, really helps people to frame how they communicate. Absolutely. So the first step, like you said, attune, which is basically making a connection with your child. Now this, I'll be very honest, has been my toughest because then I think that's for a lot of parents, right? Your first instinct, depending on what it is, is that like, say your child's asking you for something completely absurd, right? Like they're like, oh, can I have a popsicle? And it's like freezing cold outside. Your first thing is like, no, we can't have a popsicle because it's cold. Mm -hmm. You immediately go towards like limit setting. And like, that's like the automatic response. So when you share like the attune, it really, I, I, I say this because, and I want you guys to talk more about it, is that it really is like practicing a muscle because it's like you're breaking out of this like kind of 
of like this verbal diarrhea that just like kind of comes to you, whether it's like the no or like your child comes to you and they're like, oh my gosh, this person said they're not my friend anymore. And you go immediately and like, let's go to fix this problem. And so can you share some ideas or techniques around attuning and connecting and how to make that more um, available to us in those heated moments? Yeah, you're so right. And you're not alone. It's the most difficult step to remember because what we're trying to move away from is an automatic knee-jerk response. And not only the words that we say, but even in your example, the tone, you know, why would you ask for ice cream on such a cold day? It's like so dismissive and judgmental. And, you know, the child has no thoughts in their head about that. They just want the ice cream. So um, a couple of things that really help, I think the number one is to be kind to yourself and know that you're not going to get it right every single time. At the end of the day, you're going to lie in bed and think, oh my gosh, there's all these times I didn't get it right. But the, the other two things that I can think of right now are time. Time is always your friend. As long as your child's not reaching for the butcher knife or running toward the street, you know, we often feel as parents that we have to solve these dilemmas right in that moment. You know, we have to teach a lesson or we have to fix it. Um, but we don't, you know, and, and even letting your child know, like, let me think about this for a second or mommy's going to take a deep breath. I try to, you know, sort of get a better idea of what's going on with, you know, what you're feeling. So time, taking time, and you can make that transparent or not, just sometimes taking a deep breath and really taking in your child, like really listening and looking at them. And then the third thing is just literally putting yourself in their shoes. And and that takes a lot of um, skill and a little bit of child development knowledge and understanding that they have these crazy ideas. And in that moment, that ice cream means everything to them. They're not able to think in a perspective of like, oh, well, ice cream would be nice. But, you know, they're just, that's the way their brains work at that age. And if you, if you know my, you know, my three-year-old, my six-year-old, my nine-year-old, it's different. So you're your way of empathizing and joining so that they feel seen and heard is going to is going to change. Absolutely. And one of the techniques that you guys had in the book that really has helped me is that when those things happen, you say, like just saying hmm like the, just saying, hmm, or, um, or, uh, that's interesting. Like just using a filler word helps to create that pause of like, wait, what? Okay. So now what do I want to say next? And that we're so used to saying filler words, right? Like when we're having a conversation, we say, hmm, um, like, you know, like we all have these different filler words. So finding a filler word has really actually helped me to create that space of just being then more mindful of like, okay, what is the next thing that I want to say? Um, there are also pat, pat responses. If you're, if you're working on it and you're like, I don't know what the A step is here, you know, beyond just a hmm or a, you know, buying a little time, you can say, I hear you, mm. tell me more, yeah. I get it, I understand. Those are all, those all fit perfectly into almost any situation and they're, they're joining and attuning and empathic. So those, you know, a lot of times, you know, parents will say, I just can't think of anything to say. So start out with something that's really simple. I think Heather says, mine is always, I, I hear you. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, and I think I, I think tell me more fits with everything, like the popsicle example, even the popsicle example, like what's your idea here? Tell me more. Yeah. Um, or or the example you gave of the friend, you know, my friend said something mean to me at school. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me more. Yes. 
That's right. Mm-hmm. I like those. And you guys actually have like this really cute, quippy. I love cute, quippy like metaphors and ideas because it makes it so much more easier to remember. And you guys have something called like the good waiter, right? Mm-hmm. Can you share that technique with us? Because it's so yeah. Cool. The good waiter is one of my favorites because so the good waiter is basically a mirroring technique or a way of letting the person that you're listening to know that you're really listening by repeating back what they said to you. And we, as therapists, we learn this, this is like day one of, you know, clinical training is like, is, is to rephrase somebody's statement to you so that they hear that you, you got it. So we think of it like if you're in a restaurant and you say, you know, I'll have the Caesar salad, but can you hold the croutons or something like that? And the waiter says back to you, okay, so you'll have the Caesar salad with no croutons. And you're like, oh man, yes, that's, yes, gets me. (laughs) Yes, you got it. Like it's a, it's a way of, so if, you know, taking the example of the the popsicle or something or the friend, you know, like who says something mean at school, if your child says, you know, um, Susie said something really mean to me at school and you say, no way that, oh my God, I can't believe it. Mm-hmm. That doesn't really help them feel like you got it. Um, mm-hmm. want to know more, but if you say, so she said something mean to you at school, something that felt like it hurt your feelings. You're like, you're saying it back. Mm-hmm. It's amazing what you hear when you just repeat back the words, even if you don't, you can't rephrase it and you just say it back exactly yeah. as they said it to you. It's amazing what you'll learn because they keep talking. Yes. I, I use this a lot with my four and a half year old because he's like, I really what we're working on patience right now. So it's like, I really want this right now. Be like, oh, I can really see you want that right now. You mm-hmm. really want that piece of chocolate right now. And like, he's like, yeah, I really want it. Like, it's like, yeah. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I can always, then like when there's some space and some like, and you'll feel it, there'll be some space where there's not like that fighting back energy. Right. Then you can kind of go into the second step what you guys talk about, which is limit setting. Correct. So um, share a little bit more, like, as far as like some techniques that we can use as far as like setting limits when, you know, when the answer is no, like, yeah, you're not eating a popsicle in like 20 degree weather or whatever. Like if there's like a hard no, there's really no wiggle room for negotiation. Like what are some ways to um, set limits in a firm but respectful way? Yeah, there, there are lots of ways. One of our favorites is to say what they can do mm. rather than focus on what they can't do. So, you know, I hear that you are really feeling like you want a popsicle right now. Um, you know, we could go and get a hot chocolate um, or we could, you know, go to the park and climb on the jungle gym. Um, and we'll, you know, we'll think about that popsicle another time. So a lot of things that we say no to, um, we can offer an alternative that is a yes. And the other thing that we can often do is not say an unequivocal no. We can say, mm-hmm. you know, when the child's getting ready for bed and they want this and that, and we can, rather than saying, no, it's time for bed, we say, you know, we'll have a chance tomorrow to read another book. We'll have a chance tomorrow to turn your socks around the other way or whatever to say procrastinate with at bedtime. So framing it in that, like, it's not never, you know? Yeah, I like that because heart, 
as a parent, like, you know what you talked about being in their child's shoe. Whenever my son gives me a hard no, like it's like a jolt in my system. It's like, I'm like, okay, it's time to go to bed. No, it's like, whoa, like that's like a hard path. There feels like there's no room for any negotiation. And I realized I was like, that's the same energy that they feel when we give like a hard no or we lead with no. And that's been really hard. I feel like no has been like, it just kind of like, comes rolls off my tongue even if it's not like harsh it's just like no we can't do that right now I'm like oh like you know rephrase it so I share that because if other parents are like wow like no like and you recognize and you're becoming more mindful of it like no um kind of rolls off your tongue more often than you'd like just kind of keep a mental tally of how often they might be hearing no so then they're like when they say it to you it's because they've heard it all, yeah, all day. So true. I think no is one of the most common knee-jerk reactions or phrases that just come out. It's why we teach the the ALP technique in Mommy and Me because, and Julie knows more about this than I do, but like all these moms that are coming in, you know, through our first year parenting groups, they're for, the first thing they say to their, you know, seven-month-old who, you know, grabs their phone when they're not supposed to mm-hmm. have it or starts to crawl towards something or, you know, just just the first instinct is no. There's two, actually, I think there's two first instinct phrases that we help um, first year parents kind of find another way. One is no. And the other one is it's okay. Or you're okay. You're okay. You're okay. Yes. (laughs) They're so common. It's amazing. They're like, they're the language. So working with really young, with parents of really young ones. Yeah. And Julie's done so much of this work with like, with just with parents of babies to help retrain the communication early because it's so much easier to practice it when they're little um, and have those years ahead of you of, you know, just starting with that practice of when they're babies is so helpful. So what in that example of like, say your seven month old or your eight month old is starting to grab for the phone instead of saying no, you know, no, what would be a more, a different approach to say that, like what to say? Yeah, they, I mean, so if your seven month old is grabbing your phone, the the empathic thing to say is you love you so interested in my phone. I know my phone looks so interesting to you. I can tell. And then that's the A step. The, the L step is the phone is not a toy. It's for mommy's work, something like that. Mm-hmm. The L step is the reality. That's just what it is. This is, it's not a toy. It's not for playing with it's, it's mommy's work. And then the problem solving step is we have what we haven't talked about yet, but that's sort of the giving an alternative or deciding what to do next. How do you move through the situation? Yeah. That, so, you know, um, I've been actually with my, my second son, my second son just turned one. I've been, he doesn't, there's times that he just does not like to go on the diaper changing table. And it's actually almost been, cause I have the four and a half year old, almost five year old who's like, you know, talking, he talks, he's like, he's receptive, he's not receptive. So there's a different communication, but it's actually been easy for me to practice with my baby because I'm like practicing these scripts on him. (laughs) And my, my husband, the other day, he's like, uh, what are you saying? I was like, this is what I practice because he can't really give me any feedback so that I can feel it in my body yeah. of how that feels. And I love that because the phone thing has been coming up. So I'm going to definitely, definitely try that. Instead. Yeah, they may, not, they may not talk back in a way, but they're absorbing all of it and your intention and your body language and everything. So it's so oh, helpful. Yeah. 
And they're the energy because even my one-year-old, like he like knows when he's not supposed to touch something and he goes like with his finger, he's like mm-hmm. finger. So he knows that that's a no, no, but mm-hmm. I think that it really does help even just for ourselves. Like I said, like um, to feel the energy of how those words feel in our body when we're yeah. saying it, I think that's so important. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we move on, like you said, so there's the limit setting of, you know, we're not talking about permissive parenting here. We're talking about, yes, we're setting healthy, firm boundaries for our kids. And you offer abs- a lot of solutions in the book for that. Then you go into the third step, which is the problem solving step. So can you guys share a little bit about what is entailed in that step? Sure. Yeah. The problem solving step is really the most fun step because you can be creative and you can kind of go outside the the norm a little bit. But it's it's the moment when you You've started with what your child is wanting or desiring or not wanting. The second step is setting the limit or the reality. And now we're going to say, understanding what you started out wanting or not wanting, let me help you to to fulfill this in an acceptable um, way. So it's, it's the opposite of just dismissing that thought and it goes nowhere and they've, they never have the moment to say like, oh, there is a way to to feel that I can follow through on this. And, and again, depending on the age of the child, as they get older, we invite them to come up with their own solutions. But if you've, if you've done that along the way and, and sort of scratched your head and thought, well, what, you know, what could we have to eat right now since we're not going to choose a popsicle today? Hmm, we could have, and you can be silly. You could say yeah. we could have worms or frogs or maybe hot chocolate. So you can, you can use a lot of sort of humor and fun and creativity and silliness. And you can also just use really good problem solving skills that help them problem solving skills used in these contexts when children are the most vulnerable and the most really needing of our help, help them to be better problem solvers out in the world. You know, when they face a dilemma or, you know, a friend is mean to them, they see it more broadly. They don't see it. I mean, Black and white thinking is a, is a developmental norm, but it really helps them become good problem solvers for life. And in the difficult moment, it's it's a great way to resolve it and yeah. move on. Absolutely, because that is that is such a key life skill to have is to not be stuck in the problem, but to be solution oriented and especially with young children and because I'm in the exact trenches of like what this book is, you know, the, the age range for the kids that your, your intention was for writing the book. I find that, like you just said, playfulness is the key to keeping them open to this problem solving. It's not like putting down the hammer or like, this is what we could do or telling them what to do. It's just giving them options and being playful. So the more that we're in tune with our inner child, I think that's the level of success because the times that I'm stressed out or I'm feeling overwhelmed or anxious, I'm unable to then problem solve or to be able to be even creative to help my child problem solve. Would you say that would be, so it's also a part of us to be aware of. Oh yeah. Oh, and it's so, I mean, the humor digging deep to find your humor is challenging, but it changes everything. The dynamic shifts instantaneously. When we have sessions with parents who come into our office, you know, with with dilemmas like this, it's I mean, more often than not, I'm just coaching them to inject humor into almost any scenario where they feel like there's tension rising. And, you know, for example, in a problem solving step, like 
one of the common dilemmas with kids is getting out the door in the morning or just, you know, doing the things that you have to do to get on with life mm-hmm. or daily routines. And so, for example, getting dressed, you know, n- no child wants to get dressed. Why would they want to? They don't want to stop playing. They It doesn't mean, you know, it, it's just not that fun. So, um, you know, using your A and your L step and then saying something like, okay, I'm going to, you know, either something like, you know, why are these pants on my head and not on your body? Um, Or, you know what, Uh, I'm going to lay out two outfits here and you have a serious job because you have to jump onto the choices that you want. So you have to first jump onto the pants. Okay, can you do that? Like choose pants and then jump onto them, then jump onto the shirt that you want, you know, and you make a little bit of a game out of it. It takes five seconds Mm-hmm. But the tone that you have to come up with, like the playfulness and the humor and the levity that you have to dig deep for, mm-hmm. it just, it's really challenging. But, oh, my God, with little kids, like, you you, you know, you just um, have so much more, you know, you can just turn any situation around with a little bit of, you know, humor and levity and joy. They just, it like engages their, their, their creative brain, like Julie's saying, it really helps them think outside the box. Right. Because their first language is play, right? Like that's when they're the young, that's how to connect with them. And you know what, when I read about the problem solving, and this is kind of the visualization, because I mentioned, like, I'm a very visual person, is that it's like being MacGyver, like you're being MacGyver mom in that moment. And you're looking around your scenario and trying to figure out what do you have and trying to like, figure out like a playful way of like making it move. So it's not going to be so a lot of times if like, okay, if you're looking for a script, if you're listening to this, this is going to work every single time. It's not going to be like that. You have tons and tons of suggestions of ways of like bringing these like ideas to kind of jog your memory you can even like there have been certain things that I've actually written down word for word put it on a post-it on my mirror because I wanted to like memorize it to a certain degree so it kind of flows off of my tongue but a lot of this is like you have to kind of be willing to be experimented in the moment right yeah it also has to feel really genuine to, to your yeah. child. We have some parents who've, you know, gone through our Parenting Me program and, and learned this. And, you know, down the road, they'll say, you know, my child, if I come toward her and say, I know you're feeling sad, the, the child's like, ah! So, I mean, and I'm like, mm, I don't think she believes you. Like, you have to really be in the moment and be genuine. Your child has to believe you. And it, it's hard. But at the end of the day, if you if you can do that and get through all three steps and summon up your your creative humor at the end, you're you're on your same side as your child. You're not in this oppositional stance anymore. And with practice, it's easier to do because the outcome feels so much better. Even if as a parent, you're digging deep for a while, you realize, wow, at the end of the day, this is, I I feel so much relief, you know, that, that we're not in this oppositional stance with each other. Um, And I love that you gave like, you know, the, when a child is, taking their time, um, you know, going at a slower pace than we'd like to. Um, I think another big thing, and I'd love for you guys to give like an example of the ALP, um, 
as far as like, you know, when a child is like hitting or, you know, showing sort of like aggressive behavior, um, what could be like, say, like, I'll give you a scenario, a sibling squabble. So like one sibling hits another because they wanted um, a toy. What would an ALP example kind of look like in that situation? So yeah, sibling stuff is so complicated, of course, because you usually don't see exactly what happened and you can almost never trace back (laughs) the root of the conflict, right? Because somebody does something and then somebody cries, but who knows what preceded all of that. It's so tricky to really, and that's why we use what we call the sportscaster instead Mm -hmm. of Um, what you would think of yourself as like a referee who can make a call about who's right or wrong. So we don't want parents to be referees. We want them to be sportscasters, which means that you see both people and you're helping them find the way to see each other and to resolve their own conflicts. So um, there's so many techniques that come into play with siblings. I think it's the most complicated chapter of the book and the most challenging and the most rewarding. Like people are just so excited about that chapter and the techniques in it because they're like, it's it's just so complicated. Siblings are so complicated. So if you walk into a room, somebody's hit the other person. Um, I mean, first of all, if someone's going to hit, then you're using a safety step, which we always um, recommend for anything physical. So as you're, or even before you start your attune step, or as you're saying your attune step, you're using a safety step, which means you might have to gently move two people apart or, you know, hold somebody's body. So always using safety as you're saying, as you're thinking to yourself, what is this little human being going for? What are they working on? What are they trying to communicate? So instead of correcting the behavior, which would be like, no hitting, you know, you can't hit, I can't believe you're doing this. Why did you do this again? I told you, um, you're going to, um, using your safety steps of maybe using your body at the same time that you're saying, I I can see something big is going on here. You have some big feelings. Um, you look really angry. You you were trying to tell him something. What were you trying to say? Mm -hmm. Um, and then hopefully that child can say, you know, he took my toy. Mm -hmm. And then you say, Oh, okay. I get it. I get it. So you guys were playing, and then he took your toy and um, and give that space before you eventually are going to say, you know what? Oh, yeah. In this house, we definitely don't, you know, use our, you know, we definitely don't hit each other because we need to keep each other's, you know, body safe. And um, so we don't hit because that can really hurt. So what could we do instead? What, mm-hmm. let's sit down for a second. What could you say? Sometimes all those steps can't happen at once, though. This is why it's so complicated, because sometimes they need to be just, they need calm down time for a minute. If it's really intense, mm-hmm. you might need to just stay in the A step and just say, man, some really big feelings are happening right now. I just, let's take some time and, and calm down and then just attune, try to understand what was underneath and then go to your limit setting later. You know, you might yeah. have to put it on pause. Yeah, I'm glad that you said that because it's like, you know, like we just shared, like it's not going to be like every single time, like you said, every scenario is going to be different. Um, And I wanted you guys to highlight that because it's like, you know, we all like want like, okay, give me the script of like what we need, like the ultimate script. But these are suggestions and they're going to get you to the step of being able to be fluid in these moments of like what is actually needed. Um, And so 
especially with like kids having big emotions and big feelings, like with, for example, like a meltdown, like they're really, a child's like really just not able to process like your words. Like you said, being in the attuned phase is something that it might be longer, right? Like they're, whether until they completely calm down and then you can have the conversation um, of like whatever the the next steps are. So um, I'm glad that you mentioned that, but do you have um, any suggestions as far as like dealing with a child who's having tough emotions or meltdowns of specific techniques that you could do during the attune phase um, to help them kind of ride through it? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely on the right track because when a child's having a tantrum, depending on their age, there are different kinds of tantrums, of course, but often they're in a flooded emotional state where they're really not able to come back immediately or um, listen to the L step or the P step. Um, And it's so opposite from what a lot of parents believe, but we really want to start by giving them the feeling that their feelings are okay. And we, we are interested. A lot of parents just think that's going to cause more tantrums in the future. And I need to give them this clear message that this behavior is not okay. So it's a big shift for parents to be empathic, you know, and to give their child, sometimes it's just a few words, you know, mommy can tell, like Heather just said, you know, you're having, you're something's really upsetting. If you know what it is, you know, I know you really wanted that, you know, whatever it was in the store. Um, but a lot of times it's, it's also your, your facial expression mm-hmm. and your body language and your, you know, your nodding head and your, you know, you're giving your child the feeling that it's fine to let these feelings out as long as they're safe and they're not hurting anybody or breaking anything. Uh, sometimes you have to scoop them up gently if you're in a store and, and say, I'm going to take you to a place where mm-hmm. we can have some, you know, we can have some privacy and some calm and, and, and you're signaling to your child, I'm in this with you. And I know that you need to get these feelings out and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. And I promise you, this actually makes tantrums less likely to happen down the road because your child will know as you start to help them express their feelings and talk about their feelings that they don't need to act them out as they get a little bit older Right. They can talk about them, but they're very developmentally normal, as we all know, around the two, three-year-old range. And we have to wait it out. We can't move on to the, the L step or the P step until that child's sort of heart and mind have opened back up and they're, they're not in that emotionally flooded state anymore. I think that's so true that their parents will say, oh, yeah, I try the A step. I say, you know, something, something, but... I, I feel like it's it's more an intention that your child really has to feel that you have no agenda about getting them to calm down quickly. And they know, they know, even if you're saying, I know, but you're, you know, if you have a tone of like, please get through this as quickly as possible, I'm saying that I understand, but I really would rather that you just pack this up real quick so we can move on. They know. And if they're really having a hard time, they're gonna, they're gonna, you know, either they're going to shove it down and repress it, which we don't want, or, you know, just to please you so that you aren't disturbed by their feelings. We don't want that. Or they're going to just say them louder and be louder because you're not hearing. So really having that, um, 
that stance of like, and I picture it like a wave, like feelings come and go. So you really just have to ride the wave with them and you're fine. You're not going to be knocked over by the wave. You're just going to be in it with them. Yeah. And um, feelings come and go. They're like waves. Yeah. You guys have this um, in the beginning of the book, this illustration of like you and your child, like in this boat together. And like you're saying, like their, their feelings are like waves. Right. And um, we were in uh, Cancun or no, sorry, Bahamas. And I saw this huge cruise ship and like that visualization stayed with me. Like you're on this boat, but if you're on a smaller boat, you feel those waves a little bit more. And like, so I try to visualize in those moments when he's like really in it feel like it's shocking me I was like we're on a cruise ship because when you're on a cruise ship you don't really feel those waves like hitting kind of like more stable and so that visualization is like I try to remember is like okay be the cruise ship you know like don't don't be like on that little like rickety Rickety boat boat. yeah Yeah. you're moving and the the emotions are going to move you guys like just be like to be the cruise ship in that moment so that you guys can flow together um and also I like the like the visualization like before, like when we were in power struggles, I felt like our boats were crashing into each other. So like the waves were like pushing us into each other. So I like that also, like you're in the same boat together. Like you've got this, like, cause you're absolutely right. They can smell your energy of like, let's move this along. Or like Julie, like you said, when you're saying the words, but you're not really like truly meaning them, I can raise my hand. I've definitely done that. And he, like the other day, my son's like, can you stop saying that. Like, you know, I, like, I know that you're feeling, he's like, can you just stop saying that? And I was like, okay, so obviously <laughs> he knew it run the, he ran the course. It's like, okay, you're right. It's not genuine right now. <laughs> so, yeah. They're so smart. They know. Yeah. Yes. And I think um, that I love the cruise ship thing because it's like, I think there's a fine line between empathizing and going too far in it with them to where you're it's it becomes like you take it on for you and you compound it or something like that there's just there's a healthy boundary around you know wow I see you're having a feeling I'm with you and I'm here but I'm not this is not my feeling this is your feeling and I'm not you know, going to go, I'm not like, I'm not on this rickety boat where we're like, what? Yeah. Like I'm not going to join you in that. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, there's a lot of amazing things that we talked about today and this is literally like a tip of like what you have in the book. Um, But I'd like to end, you know, if there was one piece of advice or final inspiration that you would love for the mom listeners today um, to take away from this book and from our conversation um, that they can use right away, what would it be? I think, I mean, one of my favorite things to, to work with parents on is, is our, one of our main premises of the book, which is so basic, but I think really not, a lot of people don't really own this idea is that children are built for good and they um, have the capacity for empathy when they do something that bothers us or that they're not supposed to do, or they misbehave or they act in a way that's really difficult. They're not um, misbehaving, they are working on something. So what, what, you know, the, I think the biggest sort of framework that I try to get people to, I think of it like putting on a certain pair of glasses where you see the world this way, like you see your child this way when they do something, you're going what we call under the iceberg. So you're not focusing on the behavior. You're thinking to yourself, what is she working on? What is she trying to tell me? 
mm-hmm. because she is a good person trying to do something. And what is she trying to do? And the minute you do that, you see everything in a different light and you can actually help and join and teach versus trying to just, you know, control. Yeah. it's And that's the secret. I feel like when we were just talking about like being able to say it empathetically and really mean it, it's like you're, when you put that hat on, that's when you have access to that ability to truly be deeply rooted in your empathy. Yeah. So. Very, very important. Um, thank you, ladies, so much. So tell our listeners where they can go and buy Now Say This. Now Say This is available on Amazon and other major booksellers. And our website is called thehappysleeper.com, which is our first book. So all our information about how to reach us, how to schedule a parenting consult is on thehappysleeper.com. And we have Instagram too for yeah. Happy Sleeper. Happy Sleeper. Yeah, you guys, um, you know, we were focusing more on your second book, but you guys do have a book called The Happy Sleeper. And you guys are um, help parents um, as well as like with the sleep training. I actually just want you to quickly just let them know, know that because I know a lot of moms are also struggling with that. So why don't you guys quickly just share? Yeah, um, I think if anyone, if it resonates with people, the concepts and now say this 100%, the happy sleeper for any sleep issue is going to be really um, resonating as well. So the happy sleeper is a book, a, a guide for parents, baby through school age kids. And we uh, um, do sleep consultations and we have online classes for um little babies and older babies that parents can, you know, have, it's, it's a middle ground approach. Um, it's a reasonable empathic and, but very effective approach to sleep. That's amazing. Um, thank you so much, Heather and Julie, for being here today. This was such a great conversation. Um, it's helped me out so much, but I really, any mama who's listening, really go out and get Now Say This. It's such a great investment. It's something that I keep at my nightstand. Anytime I feel stuck, I'll open it up and helps me find the solutions and be like, okay, next time, this is what I'm going to say next, or this is what I'm going to try next. So it's going to be an invaluable resource for you guys. So thank you for writing it. Thank you for spending this time with me. It was amazing. Thank you for having us. This was really great. This was really fun. Thanks so much. It's such a pleasure. You're welcome. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Time and Talks podcast. I hope you got so much value out of it. And till next time. Bye, guys. If you love this episode, I'd be so grateful if you subscribe on iTunes, share it with your mama besties, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. All you got to do to share is screenshot it, share it on your Instagram story, use the hashtag Time and Talks Podcast, and tag me at Dejal V Patel. Of course, you can just text your mama besties the pod too, which is also totally cool. And if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, as my special thank you, I'd like to give to you my seven-day stress detox course absolutely free. This is a $79 value course I'm giving to you complimentary as my thank you for leaving a review. If you're a mom who wants tools to use in the heat of the moment that helps you decrease stress, 
manage your triggers, stop your own meltdowns, or you just want to infuse a simple moment of peace throughout your busy day to get centered, well, you want to get your hands on these tools. These tools are rooted in ancient Ayurvedic and yogic wisdom, and these kundalini meditations that I teach only take three minutes or less to feel better. These are my daily go-to tools that keep my stress at bay and help me feel calm and centered, and I'd love to make them available to you. All you gotta do is email me a screenshot of your review over to thejal at thejalvpatel.com. That is T-E-J-A-L at T-E-J-A-L-V-P-A-T-E-L.com. I'll send you the course details right away so you can get started. And stay tuned, my book, Meditation for Kids, 40 Activities to Stay Present, Improve Concentration, and Manage Difficult Emotions is going to be released in spring 2020. This is going to be your favorite guide to make meditation fun, simple, and a part of your family's daily routine. Till next time, bye guys.